Welcome to DocuTalks, a podcast about documentaries mostly from Netflix. Chelsea and Michelle may be from two different generations, but they both share a passion for talks of true crime, murder, and documentaries with flair. Join these chatty bitches while they dish the latest hot documentary on DocuTalks. Welcome to DocuTalk. And I'm Chelsea. So this week we are covering Okja and What the Health. Um, So just a warning, this is adult content and we discuss difficult topics and times can use explicit language. So we're going to sort of change it up a little bit. We're not going to do what's new because we're covering two shows this episode. And that's because Chelsea tried to sneak in a non-documentary show, Okja. Listeners, this is not true. Michelle is the one who made the playlist, well, the documentary list, and she had What the Health slash, slash Okja on, you suggested on our potentials. Okja. No, I didn't. You, I had no idea about Okja. You were the one who told me about it. I didn't think I did that because I know it's not a documentary. <laughs> I, never, I never watched it. I never watched and, it. So for opening the list and being like, oh, Michelle wants to do it. Do a movie, not a documentary. <laughs> because you had said to put it on the list when we were talking about this season, so I threw it on there. And then when we did our recording last week, we actually hadn't previously discussed what should we do the following episode. So during the recording, she had mentioned, oh, let's do Okja. And I said, oh, okay. And then in the recording, you said, it's not really a documentary, but it's like a documentary. So then I started watching the documentary, well, non-documentary, documentary-style type show, as I was told, and it's not a documentary at all. No, it's so a movie. <laughs> you tried mm-hmm. to sell it as though it's it's like a documentary, but it's a cartoon-type documentary movie, so it's not as emotional as watching a factory farming documentary. No, I told her that people who, so I that was actually a direct quote from an article I read about people who said that the, one of the things that they had watched that made them stop eating meat, and that was what someone had said, because I know it's not even a cartoon. It's with real people, Michelle. <laughs> yeah, but it's like a CGI. It's a CGI animal, yeah. and that's what I had said, because I had um, I'd read a list of documentaries that people had watched that made them stop eating meat after we were doing um, Game Changers. Anywho, I don't really remember this very well. My brain's really fuzzy today, guys, so I'm just going to let Michelle have this win. Well, listeners, I'm just trying to tell you that Chelsea tried to screw us all over, so (laughs) that's why I had to message her and say, Okay, we need to do another one, too, but we can cover Okja just because I wanted to be able to confront her about this in the podcast. Next episode, Michelle has a guest speaker. Chelsea's not on the document, not on the documentary (laughs) podcast anymore. (laughs) What happened to Chelsea, Michelle? Oh, well, you know. (laughs) Yes. So, first issue of this movie for me. It had subtitles. Did you know that, Chelsea? <laughs> yeah, it was in Korea for some part. I remember this. I liked. Okay, I swear I have probably talked to you in the past about the fact that I don't like movies with subtitles or any kind of TV with subtitles. And this is because I usually am doing other things while I watch TV. I'm often knitting or I'm cleaning or I'm cooking. I very rarely sit and watch a show and that's all I do. So it's hard for me to watch something with subtitles. The other thing is I am a little bit old And so now, in order to watch a show with subtitles, I really need to have my glasses on. And I don't tend to wear my glasses at home. I get home from work and I take my glasses off. So now I have to not only pay 100% attention, I also also have to put my glasses on. That really, honestly, is just a bit too much for me. Oh, boy. There isn't subtitles throughout the entire movie. It's only during some parts. um, A lot of parts. Was it? I can't really remember. I actually didn't watch it when we said we weren't doing it anymore. 
I was like, okay, I don't need to watch it because I've already seen it. <laughs> oh my gosh, she didn't even and watch I'm it. Fired. I'm fired. I had a really busy week. Really busy. If there's anybody interested in doing a podcast with me, <laughs> listeners, you might want to reach out. Exactly. Oh my God, that's it. Season four, no Chelsea. It's just Michelle. That's right. Michelle. Okay. Solo career. The second issue I had with this documentary, okay, this documentary to me is worse it's than what? Let's call it a movie. Let's call it what okay. it is. It's a movie. Yes. Sorry, I'm used to saying documentary because that's generally what our podcast covers, really 100%, but we tried to throw a movie in there. So the second thing about watching this movie that was somewhat a like a documentary about factory farming, as you told me, is, yes, factory farming movies, if you're really watching a a documentary that is specifically geared towards factory farming, it is very hard to watch because you do see the cruelty to animals. But unlike this movie, I have not fallen in love with those animals. I I did not see this beautiful big pig okja running through the fields in Korea and saving a little girl from falling off the cliff and fall in love with her. I did. (laughs) What is wrong with you? But you get very attached to this animal. That's what I'm saying. Of course I fell in love with Ocha. Yeah, how could you watch a factory farming show or documentary where I don't know these pigs or cows, so I haven't developed an emotional attachment to them. In this movie, I developed an emotional attachment. See, and it's funny that you say that because I think one of the reasons why I don't like eating meat anymore is because I work at a school where we have to come in contact with a lot of farm animals. And my students have farm animals as pets that they then eat, which is just horrific to me. Um, But so I, I hear about them. I get to meet them. And now I'm having a harder time eating meat because I've I've become close to these animals. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's why I think it makes it so powerful is we don't, we often just think of animals as commodities, especially um, farm animals, but they're not. And yeah, so I I really like that about Okja. Yes. So then the third issue is poor Okja gets shipped off to America. Yep. And they put the hidden camera on her. And what happens to her then, Chelsea? Do you remember? Even though you didn't watch the movie. The factory farm. Well, no, there before that. She she gets. She yeah. She goes through and she's like got like does that basically a beauty competition for Okja's for her breed, right? But prior to that, when she first gets to America, she gets sent to the scientific research. Oh yeah. And they do experiments on her. So then they have the hidden camera on her. And what happens to her? Oh, she gets raped by another pig. And they abuse her horrifically. forgot about that. <laughs> yes. Oh I told Evan's, one of Evan's students to watch this movie. <laughs> oh, my God. It's Evan, Evan, like, actually told one of his students to watch this movie and do, like, a film study on it because she's homesick for the term. Oh, my God, I hope she doesn't watch it. Yes! I totally forgot about that bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pretty proud of her. I could only watch this show once. Like, I oh. didn't even watch it twice. And normally when we cover a show, I watch it a couple of times. I could only watch this one once. And I didn't even fully pay too much attention in the beginning because of the subtitles, but I was watching it. So I could not watch it again after that stuff at the scientific center where she's raped and abused. And they take that meat sample from her with yes. the little stick. It was yes, horrifying. the meat sample. Oh. Oh, my God. They do that to And then. In the end, she goes to the meat processing place and almost gets her head cut off. Yeah. But she gets rescued. But not all the other pigs are. Well, that's life, Michelle. Not all the other pigs are. (laughs) So, 
would just say, if anybody would like to watch this movie that Chelsea recommended, <laughs> need to be very prepared for the traumatizing events that happen within it. I better make sure a student doesn't watch that. And I can certainly see why it would lead you to want to become a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. You know, it's <clears throat> funny. I've seen so many factory farming documentaries and it they never really made me want to become a vegetarian, which is terrible. It took honestly watching documentaries like What the Health and The Game Changers and then meeting all the cute little farm animals um, to really push the envelope for becoming a vegetarian. Well, this one almost did it to me. How, like, how, after watching What the Health and The Game Changers, Michelle, I don't know how, how it, it hasn't done it. I know, I, believe me, I'm, I'm highly debating it at this point because I did do it before when I watched, and I, I wish I could remember the name of the documentary, but when I watched a really awful one about factory farming, I, I was, I was together. a vegetarian. I was a vegan for like a month. I remember when we watched that I, one. And barely even start, like it took me probably three months before I, maybe even longer before I really started eating meat. But it's, it's so hard to, it, there's just not a lot of vegetarian, vegan options that it makes it really hard. It's so much food prep that it's, it's, I find it difficult. I know. And you don't like cooking. So it's, Ugh, hate it's it. yeah. Whereas for me, like. I don't find it too difficult. It's just like, so I'm going on camp next week and obviously I'm the only vegetarian going on school camp. And I just realized I have to make sure I have food for myself for the whole entire week. And I didn't prepare for that. So now last minute I'm realizing I have to scramble a bit. Oh boy. Well, you can't give it up after you've watched Ocha. Oh no, honestly. And like watching what the health makes, cause we, We've been vegetarian um, since, you know, when, since we watched The Game Changer and and I'm very happy being a vegetarian. But watching this documentary really solidified the fact that I need to go full vegan. And I tried going full vegan. I, I did quite well, but it is very hard. But honestly, like, it's just even more reason why I need to, like, never have cheese and never have eggs. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's enough of Okja, and I'm still getting over my trauma from it. So let's go into the next one that's a little bit more easier to watch, which was What the Health. So what did you think of that, Chelsea? Uh, I really liked it. I, you know, it reminded me a lot of The Game Changer in some ways, lots of similarities. And for me, it's just another really good documentary that, um, exposes things that are going on in the food industry but also charitable trust organizations and and societies like the diabetes association things like that so it just really made me more aware of how much people don't understand nutrition and and aren't aware of what they're putting in their bodies and the impact of that like the whole food health relationship so for me it just cements the fact that we need to have more education about nutrition, more understanding about food, where it comes from, what's in it, how it impacts our body, instead of just having that, oh, you're sick, let's fix you. But instead of preventing the grassroots reasons of why you're sick. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think this documentary just shows that, like you said, everybody can be bought. So you would think that you could trust the American Diabetes Association, American Cancer Society, etc. But this documentary shows that they're bought off by businesses that want to keep the unhealthy products in circulation. And I really think these type of documentaries are so important to show the corruption in the healthcare system and how difficult it is to get correct information especially about healthy food, but many other things. It's been a little bit of a theme this season in our um, documentaries that we've been watching. And I think just like Game Changers, it does show that we don't have enough emphasis on diet, and how it impacts health, like you said, because it's not making anybody any money because mm -hmm. the money's in the pharmaceuticals. 
But for countries with free health care like Canada, this is a huge expense in public dollars that are being spent on health care that we could be putting into more prevention. Yeah, like you could put that into education and fund learning how to teach nutrition at a fundamental level, which would really prevent a lot of this from happening. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd lose sponsorship from big, big corporations and companies and industries. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah. It's it's just crazy. You would think that you could kind of trust that, but you you can't. So Mm -hmm. let's start with. Big Pharma, boy, oh boy, you know, the pharmaceutical industry to me almost feels like the most corrupt industry. Like, I know they make a lot of medications that certainly we could not live without and that we need and and are helpful, but what shocked me about this was that they are selling 80% of their antibiotics for animals. And I was really shocked by that number. How about you? So I didn't even realize that Big Pharma actually was supplying animal antibiotics. Like, I don't know why I didn't think that. I just Mm -hmm. thought maybe there would be another Big Pharma just for animal antibiotics. So for me, I was just even more shocked. I just couldn't believe it. But it wasn't, it was shocking, but it wasn't, you know, I'm like, of course, of yes. course. Yeah, that, that's how I mm-hmm. felt too. I hadn't thought about pharmaceuticals selling to the farm industry, but then on the other hand, it's like, well, of course they're making this medication. So of course they would cater to them, but just the amount was what was shocking to me. Just staggering. Oh, and it's just, you think about it, and it's the same that we were just saying, though, with humans, like, instead of having their animals living in healthy conditions, they would rather just drug them up and give them all these antibiotics, because we can, you know, increase increase milk yielding, make your chickens bigger, blah, 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 with all these drugs, and then have a larger profit instead of just, you know, spending a bit more money and and raising our chickens in a nice way. Yeah. So obviously, you know, we've been, we've heard this a lot with humans. When you take too many antibiotics, then you have antibiotic resistances and super bugs. And that same thing is happening with animals and it's causing, you know, really bad super bugs that are then, some of them are transmittable to humans. So that's when we have like hoofing, mouth disease, mad cow disease, the avian flu, all of those things. And they are illnesses that we've seen cropping up more and more. And especially in certain areas, like one of the uh, regions that was talked about in the documentary was the Duplin County, North Carolina, and how they've had a lot of illness, a lot of um, negative implications because of the farming community. It's a low-income community that's lived there, and obviously they're being taken advantage of by the farmers that have the land and that are living close to them by, like, they're spraying waste in places, and they spray when they know families are out and gathering and just, like, not having proper um, wa- not having proper watershed. So their areas where they're keeping their animals and livestock are on floodplains, which is them polluting the water that those people are coming in contact with. So all of that runoff, especially with hog farming, it's disgusting, The all the shit and all of the, just everything, because they just collect it all and it like just goes into the water. And then that's yeah. polluting the county. That's People are playing in that water, maybe drinking that water. Those are things I didn't even think about. And like when they were showing the spray, which was that big, it looked like, you know, a gigantic sprinkler and it was spraying or silage around. Yes. And I didn't even think about that because my school is surrounded by those. I'm often working and people are spraying silage and doing, um, if they're not doing the sprinkler silage, then they've got the planes doing the silage. And, you know, we'll take the kids outside to watch it. I've never thought about the ramifications 
of working that close to it. I drive home from school and every field I drive through has silage or the sprinklers going and fertilizing and all this shit. And I never thought about it until I saw this. Like, and I've seen this documentary multiple times. And this was the first time I realized, but it's also probably the first time I've lived really in a rural, truly rural community. Mm -hmm. So now here I am, I'm like shit and bricks thinking, well, how the fuck is this going to affect me? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, I was shocked about that too, really. I, I didn't stop to think about the fact that they were spraying this on the fields. I, I was really surprised about that. And Oh, I don't know. But I, I think, you know, big pharma, they just want to keep us sick so they can just give us medication for life. And, well, you know, you right. think of the amount of money diabetics have to spend on their medication a year. Wow. Yeah. The ins- the rate mm-hmm. of insulin has gone up 500 percent in less than yeah. 10 years. And it's just yeah. going to go up higher and higher. And this is it. At the end of the day, nobody cares about you if they're making you if they're that interested in profits, like think mm-hmm. about the doctors who have refused to patent um, special medications and inoculations because they understand that it shouldn't be sold because it's something people desperately need. This is life saving mm-hmm. and also just, you know, m- mitigate like quality of life. People yeah. are dying from lack of access to insulin daily. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the milk egg industry. Boy, I thought this was really interesting how much work they do to promote milk and eggs as healthy. And they do studies that have an obvious bias in them because of who funds them need to stop being used as facts. Right? So again, this is you know, where we talked in the past about how do you know the information you get is actually appropriate, correct, well-informed. So these studies really shouldn't even be published. So I don't know if there's any respectable journals that are publishing these studies, but they put them on their different websites and other media outlets to try to push them as being, you know, unbiased studies and of course stupid media people pick them up and start publishing them or start talking about them and And also milk does not build strong bones no it doesn't no I found that fascinating when they actually said that women who drank more milk had a higher chance of having osteoporosis and weaker bones that was fascinating yeah and I do want to say like as an average person, I think I'm, you know, pretty average. I don't think I'm overly educated and I'm pretty lazy, so I'm really quick to Google things. And so for me, it's a lot easier to just quickly go on someone's website and like read that study than to find the peer-reviewed one. Yeah. <laughs> so I completely understand that a lot the average public isn't mm-hmm. going to do that much digging to get information or to learn things and you want what's easiest to access and of course these people are paying to make it easy to access and that's what this really scary about all this right is Mm -hmm. these studies are getting put out there and picked up by other media sources as being you know the end-all be-all study when it's not exactly and we think about it I really he so the creator well the what was his name the guy who did the documentary do you know do you remember oh I forget me too but the guy who was the main guy in the documentary who was kind of spearheading it all he kept likening things to like the cigarette industry and the longest time we thought cigarettes were healthy and the right thing to use and all doctors approved them it took decades for that to change and so really Mm -hmm. why are any of these industries any different It's just taking even longer for it to change and to come to light. And will it ever even come to light? Well, that's going to be the problem because of the laws that they have now put in place Mm -hmm. that prevent whistleblowing because of what happened to the tobacco industry. It's hard to know when this will ever come to light. Although I'm still devastated that they said that cheese was one of the worst foods because it's so good. 
I know. And it's like, so obviously who hasn't eaten cheese and then just like felt, you know, the most, like it was the most amazing thing in the world. And also listen to Michelle waxing poetically about cheese and how great it is. Well, that's basically because cheese is crack cocaine, (laughs) which it makes sense. And it's like sugar. So all these foods, you know, they make your brain, they, they have a reaction in your brain. So I thought it was really interesting in this documentary. They talked about organic dairy and normal dairy and how yeah. there's how everyone always wants organic dairy because there's less hormones, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, it's the exact same. They basically just showed it to us and it was the exact same. And they have the same amount of casein in them, which is what makes you so addicted to these products. And I was reading, they basically said the reason why casein is in milk is to keep babies consuming it. So you obviously want survival in your species. So a way to do that in milk, and um, apparently human milk has the same thing too, is they have casein in it and it makes your brain react like dopamine. So it's basically like what happens when you take an opioid, the same thing happens to your brain and it keeps the babies coming back and feeding so that they get strong and healthy instead of just getting distracted and forgetting to eat. So I thought that was really crazy that that's where the origins of casein came from. Well, I find it interesting that human milk has very low amount of the protein with the casein in it. But animal milk is very high, but very somehow high. we've just, but somehow we have decided that that's the best milk to have. I know it is really weird. And I was thinking about that a lot just personally. And I was wondering if that just comes beca- from the agricultural revolution and the, like what, how society has evolved, you know, since caveman times eventually like you know we didn't have access to so many foods so we created these foods because it was what we had and then we've just we haven't had any more agricultural revolutions since we've become established as society and like so the way we eat hasn't changed even though we don't need to be dependent on those things anymore it's so Mm -hmm. weird but yeah um Mm. so like michelle was saying with the casein So a cup of milk has 7.7 grams of protein, 80% of which is casein. And when you convert that to cheese, the protein content multiplies by sevenfold. So that's 56 grams. And it's the most concentrated form of casein in any grocery store. So basically, milk is cocaine and cheese is crack. It's just like just pure unadulterated addiction. And that's why you can't put the cheese down when, you know, you have a slice of cheese and it's, it's literally like, I feel like a drug addict sometimes when I have cheese and I know I can't even have it in the house because if I see it, I have to eat it. And then if I just have one piece then I have to have more and it's just, you can't stop But your brain is telling you not to, because it does send these, um, the casein releases opiates called casomorphines, and they really play with your dopamine receptors and trigger an addictive element. So it's like the same as doing drugs, the same as smoking, any type of addiction. Of course, if you want to feed your addiction. Yes. One thing I really didn't even realize, I've, like I said, I've seen this documentary three times, but it took this third time to click when they were talking about. Everyone always wants hormone-free dairy. We want hormone-free meat. We want hormone-free this. We want organic, blah, 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 blah. But really, milk is just the main receptor, receptacle for hormones. You are drinking a hormone byproduct. Yeah. Like, had you thought about that before, Michelle? No. No, I hadn't thought about that. Like, it is a hormonal creation it is something that is being you know it's I just I'm having a hard time articulating myself because my mind is so blown by this like I I had never realized because in reality yeah like all your hormones have to be going for you to produce milk 
right? Mm -hmm. And then obviously you've got all these hormones coursing through your body. So your milk is full of your hormones, which makes sense for humans. But it's like, and now we're just drinking like the cow's version of that. Yeah. What the fuck? Like whoever decided let's drink cow's milk. Oh my God. It's interesting because you were saying how, you know, you've seen this documentary before and so have I, I've watched it quite a while back and it's interesting the things you pick up the second time through. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe after watching game changers and some other shows around the same topic, and then then coming back around to this one, you pick up different things the next time. And that was one of the things that stuck out even more. I think the first time I watched it, I was more focused on how are these associations recommending all this bad food? And Mm -hmm. then this time I was more focused on what he was saying about the milk and why it's actually bad and picking that up a little bit more this time around. Mm -hmm. Me too. And I think my first time I watched it, I was like, oh my God, they can have how much pus in milk? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, I've never been a milk drinker. Like I don't like milk. Even as a child, I hated milk and it was always one of those problems. You know, my parents wouldn't let me leave the dinner table until I drank my milk because That's what we were told growing up is Mm -hmm. to get strong and be healthy. You have to drink milk. Um, However, I've always been hardcore addicted to cheese. So for me, I just didn't even really think about the fact that cheese is made from milk. And now it's like mind boggling. Like I like milk. I like milk in my tea and I do like chocolate milk, but I love yogurt and I like cheese. So that's, where I would get more of that milk product. Mm. I also love the one doctor that said he never sees anybody who's protein deficient. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, that's so true. Right. Oh, for so sure. this idea that we have to eat so much protein is again, something that's been fed to us. That's not true. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting when he mentioned the paleo diet and how high it is in meat products and how it's not healthy. Cause that's one of the big, you know, that was the big trendy diet. I think it's getting, it's being replaced by keto, but before keto it was all the paleo diet. Which is funny because this keto diet, anyone who's doing the keto diet needs to watch this documentary because even like, like you were saying, that diet wasn't around. And I would love to have heard what they thought about keto because the amount of fat you're consuming, the amount of high fat dairy, like keto is basically like eat cheese and meat and nothing else. And, and people don't understand how terrible it is for your body. And I have tried to talk to people who are hardcore keto freaks because, you know, it's, it's a huge diet fad right now. And they just think well, I'm crazy. <laughs> well, I think that's part of the reason people love keto is the high fat gives you that satisfaction with the food, right? Like I have a yeah. friend who who has been on keto for about a year now, and I think she's lost on a, almost 50 pounds. And it's like, yeah, of course you'll lose weight um, not eating carbohydrates and things like that. But the thing is, is she would have probably lost all that weight if she had have just gone to more of a plant-based diet and cut out mm-hmm. carbs as opposed to eating just plain cheese and fucking, you know, meat and not having any vegetables or fruit because on keto, vegetables and fruit aren't really a good thing to eat because they have lots of carbs. Well, you can eat vegetables. Some like vegetables. That, like it depends on the vegetable, right? But fruit is an issue, which I would have a problem with that. I would hate that you couldn't eat fruit when you're trying to eat health. Right. Well, you couldn't have any of the vegetables you like, Michelle, because it's I I've done the low GI diet from my from my list of five vegetables that well, I really exactly. eat. <laughs> because it's like if you're trying to eat low glucose index index vegetables, there's really not many. And I do like iceberg lettuce. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, well let's just move on now. <laughs> Michelle's Tell- really lucky she's in Canada. <laughs> Chelsea's always getting on me about my vegetables. All right, let's move on to the fish. Oh, God. Yeah. I know. I don't like fish, but I find it interesting because so many people think fish is a healthy protein, you know, healthy food. And this Mm. really kind of blew the lid off of the fish. Now, I think when I was growing up, 
fish was always healthy, sort of clean food. And then I'm not sure when it was, but you then you started hearing about the mer- mercury levels in the fish. But that wasn't around when I was a kid. I mean, it might have been in the food, but we weren't hearing about it. But now it was interesting, all the stuff they had to say about the fish. Yeah. And you often hear people are pescatarian because, you know, meat, uh, meat is bad for you, but fish, for some reason, (laughs) of all the things that you're going to eat, you're going to be a pescatarian. I always, so I like fish. And when I grew up, um, my mom hated fish, so we weren't allowed to cook it in the house. But my dad and I would sometimes have fish and like we would go to the cottage and he would catch his own fish. And like then we'd have fish the odd time. So I've never really grown up eating fish a lot. And after watching this documentary, I'm really glad I didn't eat fish a lot, you know? And Yeah, I think part of the problem is I think a lot of people don't realize that fish are also factory farmed. And factory farming fish is actually like the worst factory farming ever. Yeah. It's like it makes... It makes like pig and cow factory farming look like Mary Poppins is in charge of it. You know, they're yeah. creating things that aren't even fish. It's just, it's basically just a floating membrane. It's disgusting. Yeah. And think about all the shit fish eat. They're, they have all the toxins that are in the water. Now there's microplastics. So they have, there's four main issues and they're PCBs, which are polychlorinated biphenyls. And they're a highly toxic industrial compound, which basically is just found in the bottom of rivers. And it was banned in the 70s, but because it takes so long to break down, it's the waterways are still rife with it. And then that's also high in saturated fat, cholesterol, and mercury. So I don't, and most of the times fish are the people, are the things that are, they're like, cleaning the water they're filtering the water through their gills and i'm just like so where the fuck is all that shit like all that gross stuff going oh wait it's going into the fish meat (laughs) and you you want to only eat fish cool cool well i'm lucky because i don't eat a lot of fish and when i was growing up you know grew up we always had fish on fridays because we're catholic and i don't like fish so i always got to have fried bologna which you know is just so much it's of a better worse. alternative. <laughs> oh my god, I do love fried bologna. I was telling my co-workers you, about it. I was teaching oh my, them about fried bologna from Canada oh, this week, actually. I shouldn't even have mentioned it because now I'm going to really crave it all week because I'm telling you, I don't know what it is. I really like fried bologna. And every once in a while, like, I mean, maybe once a year, I might buy a package of bologna and and fry up the bologna and have a fried bologna sandwich. And I just oh, I just it. love it. But I remember the day I found out it wasn't good for you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I grew up on that. I, I didn't know these mean? processed meats were good, like these deli meats. Like, that's news to me. Where did this information come from? Like, yeah. this, this, this tube of meat that doesn't even look like it's anything but a paste isn't good for me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, like, really? So upsetting. I do think it's for, pretty... for listeners who don't know in Canada, we tend to call it Newfie steak for, for after Newfoundland. That's like the joke, Newfie steak. <laughs> There's nothing better than a thick slice cut bologna fried up on your sandwich. That's right. <laughs> I do find it very interesting, though, that that you mentioned fish was always considered clean. And that is very much because of religious association to it. And I just... I never understood that. Like, I didn't grow up in a religious household, but also I don't understand where all of a sudden religion decided fish. Fish was the way to go on Fridays, guys. Like, that's where the um, the fish fillet came from at McDonald's. It started because of the heavily religious areas that didn't eat any other meat on Fridays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, very interesting. Okay, let's go on to Susan G. Komen. So, boy, you know, you hope to hear that this might be the one organization that's on the up and up because a lot of people fundraise for this. They have all kinds of walks for Susan G. Komen. So you sort of hope that 
people who are working hard to raise money for them that they're actually doing the right thing to fight cancer. But guess what? No. And now this wasn't the first time I heard about this. Chelsea informed me about this when she was going to university. And I remember us having a big, huge discussion about the pink ribbon campaign and how it all worked. So I will let you take this over, Chelsea, and you can educate our listeners. Back in the day when I was intelligent, you know, and I knew what was <laughs> going on in the world. I So when I was in university, I studied um, aid, aid work and stuff like that and charitable work. So we did a lot of investigation into what's going on in charities and how a lot of charities are just corrupt money making machines that all their fundraising goes to paying for the salaries of the people working for those charities or funding those studies that are bullshit and feeding us lies. And unfortunately, um, the Pink Ribbon campaign and the Susan G. Komen, those are some of them. And it's just basically only a small percentage of the money goes towards true charitable work and really helping the women that have cancer. And so it's just it's just tragic. It's really important, guys, that you do your research before you donate and you look into that. Like, how is that money going to be spent? How is it going to be allocated? Are there um, organization runners taking salaries? So those are things that you really need to look into. There are some great uh, websites that can help you ensure that you are donating to organizations that are truly doing charitable work. So um, educate yourself. Anytime you want to help, make sure you educate yourself about how you're spending your money and your donations. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard. And, you know, you you think you're doing the right thing and you're you know, fundraising or donating to these organizations. So it's it's another thing that, you know, you have to really do some digging to make sure you're donating to the correct place. And it happens with a lot of organizations, like even with what was mm-hmm. going on with the fires in Australia, like a lot of those charities that said that they were helping raise money, you know, those that money actually didn't go to necessarily their works in Australia, but it went to maybe paying for other things within Mm -hmm. their charity so yeah because it can be as simple as even the red cross you know they take salaries Mm -hmm. they are a big organization so just make sure (laughs) i mean of course people have to run these places so you're not going to have zero administrative Mm -hmm. costs but it's sure it's not really heavy administrative costs Yes, and a really good charity will actually have a breakdown of how the like the percentage of what money is going to administration compared to the percentage of money that's going towards actually what they say they're doing. And so I always look for charities that have that breakdown. And a lot of times they're smaller grassroots charity organizations, which at the end of the day, guys, the smaller the name, sometimes the better work they're doing because they don't yeah. have this huge name behind them. They're not a corporation or an entity within themselves, and they have nothing to gain because it's not about their image, their public persona. It's about their work. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. true. It's true. I agree with you. A lot of times these smaller, more grassroots places do do a lot more for um, the public or the people that they're serving or their cause. Yeah. All right. And what about the chief medical officer of the American Diabetes Association? Wow. What a bastard. Seriously, I really just want to know how did this guy get this job? I am sure there's some sort of backroom deal that got him this job and he ensures that he's supporting all the sponsors and he's not saying anything wrong because to me, you you know, diabetes, when you have diabetes, your diet is such a focus of managing your disease. So how can you sit there and say, you're not going to talk about diet at all? Exactly. And just the fact that he went on the diabetes website and everything was stuff that a diabetic shouldn't be eating. You know, just mm-hmm. for me, I'm just like, I was mind blown. And and that's exactly it is. We get these people in charge that they're just 
you know, they're just a pawn in this game and they're willing to play lip service to whoever's paying their their salary. And I bet he's getting a huge salary and he's probably in a senator's pocket or two. So it's just it was so embarrassing. I physically felt uncomfortable and I just couldn't imagine being him and like thinking how what he was doing was okay I just kept thinking I was like I wonder if you watched the documentary and I wonder how he felt about how he looked and I just like this is a public record how can anyone really trust what the what the Di- American Diabetes Association is doing if that's someone at their helm yeah really I mean, I I am curious, too, what did he think after he saw this documentary of how he came off? Because he doesn't come off looking good. Yeah. And, Michelle, I have to ask, I know this isn't in our show notes, but I thought it was really interesting that they mentioned how sugar isn't, sugar and carbohydrates aren't what causes diabetes. And eating sugar and carbohydrates aren't going to, isn't going to impact your diabetes as much as eating a high-fat diet. I was just flabbergasted because we've always been taught, oh, if you want to get, you're going to get diabetes eating sugar and carbohydrates, but really you can fix diabetes with sugar and carbohydrates and you can still have them in your diet as long as you're reducing the amount of fat and meat proteins. Yeah, I'm shocked about that because that's certainly not what they teach and not what they teach diabetics because diabetics it's all about counting your carbs and and uh, keeping your sugars to a minimum I would be really interested to hear from our listeners if any of you are diabetic or know about that and like what's your diet like what do you guys eat um have you been following the what the diabetic associations have been telling you or are you vegan and you're finding that's enough I would love to know yeah, I'm curious. It's mind-boggling. Too. My mm-hmm. dad is a uh, pre-diabetic, and I'm always really interested to see if he did a vegan diet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So <laughs> before we depress ourselves anymore, I know. Oh, jeez. Oh, so I mean, of course, the other thing with the corruption, like there's a lot. You know, they talked about the government um, programs funded by producers eat more of their products mm-hmm. and this is why there is extra cheese on pizza that uh, was shocking I know I know and it's it is funny like we are always told like cheese is the perfect snack eat more cheese yes. oh if you're hungry oh. have some cheese add yeah. cheese to this. like anyone who spent any time on Pinterest knows every recipe on there is full of cheese <laughs> yeah yeah and they're promoting this stuff to kids right Promoted in schools throughout the country so that they can make lifelong consumers out of these kids. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's the best way to start an addiction is is in the yeah. cradle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was really amazed at all of the laws and programs. So the gag laws that can be that mm-hmm. exist and how you can be charged as a terrorist against animal abuse, like with PETA and stuff like that. Oh, the cheeseburger laws. And that was mm-hmm. it t- because they knew they had to protect themselves after the tobacco fallout. So they had to come up with all these laws to prevent that from happening to them. I just. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And the and fact that these laws are based on the fact that they have decided that consumers should know that this food is bad for them. So Mm -hmm. they are responsible for eating it. Mm -hmm. But when you've been eating cheese since you were a child and, you know, you've got these diabetic um, association and cancer society recommending these kind of recipes that aren't good for you. How how are you supposed to know? How are you supposed to figure that out? Really? Exactly. And I've kept thinking about that with eggs like eggs are supposed to be so good for you they're they're you know and it's just like it's a great meat replacement and then all of a sudden no it's not you're basically Mm -hmm. just eating the this big old hormone ball Mm -hmm. (laughs) ew yeah I'm just I know it it's so hard and even they've just changed the nutrition guide so before we used to have the food pyramid 
And now we don't even have the food pyramid. So it's like if everything keeps changing and and it's changing to suit the needs of not necessarily individual people and what they need health wise, but to suit the needs of big agro or big dairy or big meat industries, then how do we educate ourselves? How do we know? <sighs> yeah, I think it's hard to find out. Really, it's really interesting, like how you're saying we've got these kids who I, I was talking about Halloween at school because it's Halloween right now while we're recording. And we were talking about going trick or treating and getting candy. And these kids are Kiwis. They don't eat. They don't have Halloween here. And I kept telling them, I was like, oh, well, it's so awesome. You get to have all that candy. Um, and then everyone was like, well, you'll just get fat. Like, that's how you get fat. Because if you if you eat those candies, like, you'll get fat. And I told them, I was just like, well, you know, if you get all that candy, you don't eat it all at once. And even if you did, if you only did that once, that's not going to make you fat or it's not going to make you unhealthy. You're not magically going to gain 100 pounds overnight because you had one day of candy binging. I was like, mm-hmm. that goes into a deeper. So I just, um, and these kids are, you know, 12 years old. So unpacking the fact that you have to have lifelong health, like lifelong eating habits before you create obesity or before you become unhealthy, that making a decision to eat a lot of candy one day isn't going to irreparably change you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what people need to realize. And obviously we're failing these children with our nutrition lessons. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> like, good on their parents for beating into beating into these children that candy is bad and they're too afraid to eat it. But at the same time, that's not teaching them an understanding of it's okay to have something sometimes and it's okay to indulge. And just because you indulge doesn't mean your whole entire life and health is over because that's that's just as unhealthy as not teaching nutrition. Yeah. So I want to talk about Jane and Amy in the documentary that showed the results of them doing a plant-based diet. So for two weeks, (laughs) Yes. So this was, I talked about this in Game Changer. I know. Remember I said that I watched some documentary and I couldn't remember which one it was and how this lady was cured after like a week or two weeks of, of eating a plant-based diet. And like Jane, like she eats this plant-based diet for two weeks and she's off all her meds and she's walking without a walker. Honestly, I find this really hard to believe, especially because it's kind of dangerous to all of a sudden stop a lot of medication. A lot of times you have to be weaned off. So mm-hmm. I I just found that really hard to believe. I did too. Yeah. I just, and it is like, it's one of those things that, guys, you always need to be working with your doctor when you're doing something like this. I'm sure it wasn't just magically she decided to go off her medication. I'm sure she was being heavily monitored by a health professional while this was happening. Um, One of the women actually went to a special clinic, like a special health facility to undergo this. Yeah. So be aware. Like Michelle and I both did the plant-based diet vegan plant-based diet for two weeks well I did it for longer than two weeks Michelle I think you did it for a I month I did it a month yeah a month. A month. let's just say this neither one of us miraculously lost 50 pounds and we're off all our medications I have asthma I am a like I would never say I'm obese or like I'm a little bit overweight <laughs> but like nothing crazy and no matter how fit I was and no matter how much I went I stopped eating meat and was on a plant-based diet, I would still have asthma and I would still need my medication. So please don't play with your health and take yeah. everything you hear in documentaries with a grain of salt about these miraculous two week transformations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed any changes, any changes since you became vegetarian? So um, I did notice I'm just like, Anytime I indulge or like, so like it was Halloween this weekend, I ate lots of candy and like some naughty foods, you know, so I had some potato chips and some candy and, and we had pizza with cheese on it. And I feel like a bag of shit today. Mm. (laughs) Whereas, you know, like if I had a couple days in a row where I had eaten some junk food, I wouldn't notice it as much. I don't think, Mm -hmm. um, 
So, and I definitely see more side effects from not eating healthy in my body. Like I'll be a lot more bloated or things like that. But I, I honestly like don't think that I've had any miraculous changes too much. Like I still have aches and pains sometimes and like I still have asthma. I still get headaches and, and, you know, the, the average things. I don't know. Mm. Um, And I'm wondering if like I really went vegan, if I would notice a huge difference. That's yeah. So since I've just been, I haven't been 100% plant-based, so I can't. Right. Yeah. But I'm just um, curious. No, yeah, exactly. But I definitely do notice if I'm more inclined to eat things I wouldn't normally eat, I'll have more side effects. But I still think, yeah, I don't know. I was watching her, their, their results stories, and I was just like, none of this shit happened to me. But I'm also not someone yeah. who's super unhealthy and overweight. I think anyone mm. who's really, really obese or overweight or suffering from a lot of issues if they made a huge change in diet and like, then they would see a huge dramatic results right away. That's a good point. You know, like when it's like when you do Weight Watchers and the first couple weeks of Weight Watchers, you lose so much weight because you are cutting out a lot of food that you wouldn't necessarily Mm -hmm. eat, like that you would have normally been eating and not realizing. But moving forward from that, like, you know, six months down the line, you're not seeing those huge weight loss gains anymore because you don't have as much weight to lose. So yeah. maybe if I was in a situation where I had more health issues and I was more overweight, that mm. would be a thing. But um, I'm no longer having thyroid issues. And I don't necessarily know if that's that goes with um, my diet choices because when I first moved to New Zealand, I was eating meat and stuff like that. And my medica- I didn't have to be on my medication anymore. But I still, mm. yeah. I don't know. So it'd be really interesting if I was having a thyroid issue still and I went plant-based if it impacted. Or maybe it'll Hmm. stay away because I'm plant-based now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows? I'm really interested. Like that woman cured her thyroid cancer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Please don't cure your thyroid cancer if you're not a medical professional. (laughs) She was a medical professional, guys. It's the only reason she got away with it. (laughs) I think we take that for granted, you know, yeah. like you really need to be doing this with the doctor. Yeah, exactly. All right. So final thoughts on the documentary. I thought it was a really good documentary and I think it's important to watch these documentaries every once in a while, just to remind you to try to eat healthier and be more plant-based it's easy for me to forget these points as time goes by not that I'm following it 100% but it does make me at least try to eat more vegetables period Um, and it did make me you know think twice I also think this reminds us to think about how we are spending our money Because how we're spending our money has an impact on the industry. So people continue to buy meat and eggs and milk. It's just going to keep it going like anything else. So people need to think about that. So listeners, think about how you're spending your dollars. And finally, it's so disappointing that the public can't trust these organizations to provide us with good, accurate information. And this Mm -hmm. is the problem. It's so hard to get the truth. And without good, you know, investigative journalism, good documentaries that really go out of their way to try to find all the correct information, you don't know. What do you think? So even though I can't remember the guy's name for the documentary, (laughs) I feel like what he was saying resonated a lot with me. Like, I see my family members having these health issues and and relatives dying of cancer or or getting dementia or things like that. And just for me, I'm always thinking like, how can I, what can I do to prevent that? Or how can I live my best life now so that I don't, you know, to reduce, reduce the occurrences of that or be in a better position if something were to happen. So I'm, yeah, like, I think that's, a main reason why I've really cut down on meat and gone plant-based is because I want to 
prevent myself from potentially having these issues moving forward and give myself the best quality of food that I can. So I really liked that. I thought it was a well done documentary. And I always want to remember that no matter how much, you know, like, so we're being told we can't trust these people because they're obviously being funded by different organizations and there's an ulterior motive. And this documentary had some very intriguing thoughts about things compared to a lot of a lot of eating habits to smoking. So it's really important that it can be really sensational. And like, even though this documentary, I know what they're trying to do. Like I made sure I was like fact checking things and like I wanted to see. So on their website, they have all the studies that they used to help inform their opinions. And so that's at the end of the day, don't just watch this documentary and think, okay, 100% they're the people who are right. And I should listen to them. Like be an informed consumer, do your own research, talk to your doctor, use what's out there to inform your opinion and, you know, be a, a con- informed consumer. <laughs> I just <laughs> think that's so important. Yeah. Yep. Good point. And, Good point. And don't beat yourself up if you have cheese and eggs every once in a while. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Like we <laughs> can gradual process can sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So before we sign off, I want to bring up a point from last week's episode. So we had a little bit of a discussion about in Team Foxcatcher that the guy left his money to the wrestler. And I had felt that because that was DuPont family money, that that should have stayed in the family. And Chelsea loved that it didn't get to stay in the family. So I just want to let you know, Chelsea, I did an informal survey of people around me, and they all agreed with me that that money should stay in the family. Michelle, I'd like to know the demographic of this survey, because I think that has a lot to do with um, with the answers you got. Maybe I should do an informal survey with well, my I demographic. Think- I think you should do an informal survey because I I will admit the demographic and as much as it was like I asked some people at work, I would say everybody had to at least be over 40. Exactly. And I I could see you talking about this at your girls weekend trip. Oh, Chelsea was saying this. What do you girls think? And then they're all like, "Uh, Chelsea's batshit crazy. (laughs) Well, they didn't put it that way. I like to think one of them thought the way I did, but I guess not. (laughs) (sighs) Now I'll need to do my own informal survey without even considering the demographics. And I bet she, yeah, oh, I bet this is very informal. (laughs) (laughs) But if you still agree, I can certainly give your mom a call and let her know that, you know, in their will, they can leave all their money to whoever they want because you don't believe in intergenerational wealth. Oh, I never said I didn't believe in intergenerational wealth. I said when it comes to that intergenerational wealth, just because they lost a little bit of it didn't mean it was that big of a deal because they still got heaps of intergenerational wealth. Don't you take away my little intergenerational wealth, okay? Nothing you can, we can't that's like comparing apples and, and skyscrapers <laughs> well that's a good point exactly <laughs> and all I right you made sure that those people that you informally questioned understood that it was like comparing apples and skyscrapers and not their intergenerational wealth <laughs> so i didn't even bring up the point of intergenerational wealth I just focused on what my point was, that this was money that he didn't earn in his lifetime. This was money that was handed down to him. So does he have the right to give it to oh, somebody, you know, not in the like, family? I'm just going to say, if this if the, this is the kind of studies that they're doing in these studies we were just talking about, where it was total bullshit, and they just sat in their boardroom, and they're like, so do you think, do you think uh, carcinogens are bad for you? Now me either. What's a carcinogen? I don't know. Cool, let's vote for it. <laughs> Well, I did say it was an informal survey. It was not anything that was peer-reviewed or gone through an ethics committee or properly a selected demographic. My statistics teacher would have a lot to talk about. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, I would have failed a statistics course if I put in results like that. <laughs> uh, All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening and certainly let us know about your different thoughts and opinions from all the different points we brought up this episode and leave us a five star review. That'd be fantastic for helping us get out to other people. And you can contact us on Twitter and Instagram at docu underscore talk and email at us at docu.talk2 at gmail.com. So Chelsea's got a little bit going on and so do I. So we're going to not have the next episode for two weeks. And so in two weeks, we'll be covering the episode um, Guardians Incorporated from the series Dirty Money. So please take a watch of that. It's not too long. So that'll be an interesting one to cover. And we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, Michelle. Even though you threw me under the bus and I might get cut from the podcast. (laughs) Yes. Again, listeners, anybody who's interested, give me a call. (laughs) No, I won't drop you, Chelsea. I'll forgive you. You get get a one forgiving, one forgiving moment. (laughs) Only one. Okay. Not one a month. (laughs) Okay, one every six months. <laughs> oh, lucky me. Thanks lucky for putting up with us. <laughs> All right. Bye, listeners. Bye.